This TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Ocean FM. Hello, my name is Penny Richardson. And I'm Rory Callaghan. And you're very welcome to our Ocean FM TY radio show. Over the course of the next hour, we will be discussing a variety of topics such as education, sports, entertainment and other topics of concern to transition year students. We do hope you can stay with us for the rest of the show. We will now be discussing the effect of state exams on students. We will introduce this subject with Claudia, who had a positive experience with her junior cert last year. Claudia, what are your experience on the junior cert? I think the junior cert is beneficial for me as it will benefit me when sitting the leaving cert in 2025 as it will relieve stress, like I won't stress, as I'll have the experience from my junior cert, so it was a good stepping stone for the leaving cert. I also liked my experience of the junior cert, as I felt I had a good idea of all the subjects from all like the work I put in and the, te- the work the teachers put in with us. Not stressed about exams, we just had a very chill time. As a contrast to Claudia, Cora advocates for the negative impact of the junior cert. Cora, why do you believe the junior cert is harmful to adolescents? Uh, I believe the junior cert is harmful as the stress on the adolescent is harmful going into their maturity and growth and their mental health. Personally, I was very stressed going through my junior cert. I suffered from lack of concentration where I couldn't study and if I did study, I would fail and it wouldn't be very good in the long run. I also suffered from overthinking overthinking that I wasn't going to get a good result and I'm the youngest of seven kids so all my other siblings did great in their leaving cert so I had that pressure on me also to be better than them. I couldn't sleep. Uh, Every time I did sleep I'd have a nightmare and I'd wake up and I'd either get sick or I'd start crying and it just wouldn't be very nice and then very worst was sitting in the exam and forgetting everything. I would sit down and I'd have the pen in my hand and as I was writing my answer I'd blank and I'd be sitting in the room for two hours just uh, going over everything that I'd forgotten, that I couldn't remember, and ju- it would just be a horrible experience when you're alone and you can't speak up. Where do you think your stress comes from, yourself, parents, or school life? I think my stress came from my siblings doing, being better than me, and internally, I just my biggest fear in life is failure, and if I failed. And I, or I was worse than my siblings. I wasn't like worthy to go to college or anything like that. It really affected me. Thank you, Cora, for being so open with your story. On another matter, this week plans to hold the Leaving Cert Irish and English Paper 1 in fifth year have been reversed. I think the abolishment of the plan is a good idea because it gives students increased time to mature and prepare for these exams. A similar structure would give students clarity something we've lacked the past few years, as well as something to base our study and practice off. Why should we flood students at younger ages with life-changing, stressful academic judgment? We will be taking away childhoods, social lives and damaging mental health. Why would you ever believe children should be swamped in this extreme pressure sooner? On that different note, Miriam joins me now with alternating views. In my opinion, the exams in fifth year were a great idea. First of all, everyone knows how big a deal the Leaving Cert is and the amount of pressure it comes with. And because of this recent change, Leaving Cert students will have to go back to sitting a minimum of six exams, which are all two hours long, in the span of just two weeks. Personally, I found the Junior Cert stressful enough, which would be nothing compared to what the Leaving Certs are feeling. Also, the fact that these exams determine almost their whole future would have dawned on them a while ago and added to the heavy load. If this was put into action, 
There would obviously be accommodations for the students so the exams would be suitable for their level of knowledge and they'd be able to successfully set the exams. The point I'm making is that it would take a huge amount of weight off students' backs if the exams at fifth year had been set to happen. Now next up we have Cora, who will be joined by Maria Casserly, a career guidance counsellor and teacher, to talk about this controversial topic. Marie had said she was also for the fifth year exams, and now we will hear why. My opinion is that in the long term, it's a good idea because it does take the pressure off students because they have an awful lot of work to do at the end of leave insert. There hasn't been enough consultation. Um, I have spoken with some English teachers and I'm an Irish teacher myself. You cannot just split paper one into fifth year and paper two into sixth year for English and Irish. So it's a good idea in theory, but uh, there's a lot more consultation. And I think that the whole, both papers will probably have to be restructured for it to work out properly. If it did go ahead, do you think that it would be fair on the people who skipped TY or did not have TY to go from junior cert to leave insert immediately? It is unfair, particularly because this year's junior certs, they have missed out because of COVID as well, just this, these particular years, they missed out on a lot of sixth class and uh, first year and some of second year as well. So it's a lot structurally they're probably not that used to doing any type of formal exam mm-hmm. so it is it's a lot for them to do in the next year or so anyway again as I said possibly in four or five years time but it, it no it's not fair. From a counsellor's perspective uh, do you find that students are open about their struggles with exams? Yes they are very open with their struggles with exams they have, yeah they, they would have if they're and it's great because if they have a problem or an issue they're not afraid to talk about it maybe it depends on the school but I know in our school it's it's quite relaxed in that the teachers and students do get on you know every school is the same but we get on well with the students and the students I think if they have if they f- have a gripe or something to give out about they will certainly let us know uh, that is all thank you for your time you're welcome Thank you for listening to us. I'm Saoirse Supple with Marin O'Reilly and Cora McMorrow. Hello, my name is Cody Kilgannon. Hello, my name is Claudia Carr. And today we're going to be talking to Maya Donaghy on her sport and success. I started playing rugby when I was around 12. What club do you play rugby for? I play rugby for Sligo Rugby Club down Strandhill in Sligo. And who are your coaches? My coaches are Gavin Clinch, Stanley Hunter and Joe Sweeney. Have you had any success? Yes, um, we got through to our final for the league, but we sadly lost. But it's just made us stronger and we're ready for to play them again in the Cup. Maya, do you have any matches coming up soon? Yes, we have our quarterfinal coming up for the Cup and we're preparing currently for that. Maya, does your school have a rugby team? No, it does not. Do you think your school and its students would benefit if they had a rugby team? I do think that the students would benefit as it not only helps their physical but also their mental health. If they've had a hard day at school or something has been bothering them, it's a good way to get rid of your anger or something. Is there any person you look up to in sport, Maya? Yes, I would look up to Nicola Friday as she didn't take up rugby until she was at university and she has already captained for the Women's Six Nations back in 2021. Under the Labour Party bill proposed by education spokesman Aidan O'Riordan in 2022, all state-funded second-level schools in Ireland have 15 years to transition to co-ed due to the issue of schools being segregated by gender. Students seem to support this bill, as a recent study conducted among a group of TY students shows that an amazing 100% of students surveyed would prefer to attend a co-educational school. We are joined today by a student from a male school, 
a student from an all-female school and a student from a co-educational school. My name is Tyg Murphy and I'm joined firstly by Rory Callahan, who attends an all-male school. Do you like the way your school is organised? Why or why not? I mean, since I've been in an all-boys school since I was in first year, um, it's like a really natural environment, a friendly environment, but our co-educational school could probably be better organised than this. Do you think your school has a good environment with how people can learn and interact with each other? Definitely. People like people are friends all over the place. You you learn a lot. We'll now move on to Penny Richardson. Penny, you attend an all-female school. Do you like your school environment and how do you think it differs from an all-boys school? I do like my school environment. I think I've been lucky enough to find myself in a position that most people in my year are very friendly. I have heard stories that in other all-girls schools that there's been a lot of issues regarding bullying and all that. I feel as though a co-educational school would be better. Do you think the move for all schools to be co-educational is a good idea? It is a very good idea. I think it would be so beneficial for schools going forward. And now we move on to Millie Hughes, who attends a co-educational school. What advantages do you find unique to co-educational schools? There's a good few advantages when you're going to a co-educational school. If you were in a work area, um, it gives you great experience and knowledge. And it's an advantage for your future if you already have that experience going to school. Are there any disadvantages, do you think, to co-educational? To be honest, I don't think there are because most people would find their own groups. And it's a good opportunity. Rory, we'll go back to you now. You attend a same-sex school, an all-boys school specifically. Do you find that that impacts your learning in a positive or negative manner? Debates and such, we're only really getting the male perspective on it. And so our education is is really limited in that regard. And Penny, same question to you. Do you find it impacts your learning? It definitely impacts the learning in a sense that you're only getting a female perspective on different situations. I've heard in mixed schools that they have more lively debates, whether it is in same-sex schools, you have kind of a general opinion on the topic and lastly Millie we'll go on to you um like previously mentioned you're te- you're attending a co-educational school what social impacts do you think that has on the students of your school it definitely is very beneficial for uh, socially in schools as you get both sides point point of views in a debate and even just seeing each other wise you know friend groups are mixed and even in relationships and all there is slightly more maturity so that most, say, males or so would make a show of themselves in class that they'd be more inclined to in a same-sex school. And there you have it. That was students Penny Richardson, Millie Hughes and Rory Callahan of various schools from across the region. That, of course, will be a debate that will continue on for many years to come. And we hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you. Hello, my name's Maya Donaghy. My name's Claudia Carr. And we will be talking now to Cody Kilgannon about her time in sports as a woman. Cody, what club do you play for? Um, so I do boxing and I'm in uh, Balanacara Boxing Club. Who are your coaches? So I have two coaches, so Stephen Reynolds and Glenn Gettins. At what age did you start boxing? Um, I started when I was five. How is the boxing going? Uh, very well at the minute. I'm um, in quite a lot of big competitions. Um, last weekend I was in the national under-18s. It was in the semi-final. Um, I got bet, but I'm very happy with how I done. And um, hopefully I'm in the same competition next year, so hopefully I'll win next year. Is there any sporting figure you look up to? Women's boxing in Ireland is rising fairly fast, so there's a lot of girls I'd look up to, like Kelly Harrington, Amy Broadhurst, obviously Katie Taylor. Have you any other competitions coming up? Um, Yeah, I have the National Junior Twos now in two weeks, so I'm in at uh, 52kg. I'm not sure who I'll be fighting yet. Looking forward to it.
trying to get better every week and every competition, just getting closer to where I want to be. Does your school have a boxing team? No. Do you think they should? I don't think our school, like my own school, should because it's a very small school that it wouldn't really benefit the school. But I think bigger schools in Ireland should definitely think more about it because it is a minority sport and it's not very fair that if the GAA have teams in every school that box and don't. Would you like to compete in the Olympics, Cody? Yeah, I'd like to compete in the Olympics, but um, at the minute we don't really know what's going to happen with boxing and the Olympics. They're uh, trying to pull it out, so we don't know what's going to happen now in the next few years. Now we want to focus more on the environment and why the younger generation will have to step up to save our lovely planet. I'm joined by Jamie Murphy, a member of Treasure Leitrim, who is here to help us with this subject. Jamie, can you tell us a bit about the work you do in Treasure Leitrim? Well, Treasure Leitrim is a group, a community group, that's um, based in the Manor Hamilton area that was founded in the, in the last year in response to the threat of uh, gold mining. As people may be aware, um, there were a number of prospecting licenses issued for 47 different townlands um, in, in North Leitrim. Uh, to the company uh, Flint Ridge Resources. As an area, we're very, very aware in Manorhampton, in, in Leitrim, and in the Northwest in general, we're very aware of the, uh, the threat of uh, extractive uh, industries, um, whether that be mining or fossil fuel industries. So once we'd heard about this, we um, organised together to come together to work out as was what were the threats and how are we going to um, poses because the issue of mining and gold mining in particular is, is, is a hugely important one. Um, if you look at the track record of, of mining companies across the world, really, it's, it's one that's associated with environmental damage, damage to water supplies, air quality, displacement of existing industries. In terms of climate change, it's something that's a real challenge because the carbon footprint of, of, the, of, of gold mining in particular is, is a huge threat. And especially if we're as, as, as a country and as a world trying to you know, meet our, our, our climate obligations, gold mining is not an industry that we want to allow get a foothold in our communities it would also be a threat to agriculture to tourism so that's the kind of we want to build a a sustainable future for you know for your generation and and generations after that despite huge community opposition the the prospecting licenses were were granted by minister eamon ryan this is just the start of the of the battle really because this is this could be a long-term struggle um over the next uh, few years but we're determined as a as a community you know it's a very very broad range group we've got Young people, older people, people from different professions, farmers, tourism providers, people from all political parties and none. And it's it's very, very much an issue that's galvanised and brought people together um, in much the same way as we in this region uh, campaigned successfully to stop fracking. Young people have a, a very, very important role to play in that. Uh, if you look across the world it's and in Ireland, it's, it's young people who are leading the climate movement you know on, on the global scale you've got the you know people like Greta Thunberg and you know she's the most high profile person but on you know na- national and local levels there are many many climate activists and young people in the, our schools and in our communities that were taking real meaningful action you know we've had climate strikes in probably some of the schools that uh, the TYs and Ocean FM are, are have, have been a part of we've had climate strikes in my own town in Manor Hamilton in terms of the anti-fracking campaign young people played a huge role in that uh, in terms of protests and signs and uh, children's choirs at the sites where they propose to do fracking it's unfortunate that younger people that have done the least to cause the crisis that we're in but unfortunately unless we take action the future generations who are going to be impacted 
the most. And that, that's, that's not the way it should be. Our, our generation have failed your generation in terms of doing enough to protect um, your futures. Now, that I don't want to sound too catastrophic or depressive about that because it isn't too late to, to take meaningful change. And we all have responsibility to try and do that, you know, in terms of holding our elected representatives to account, asking them what are they going to do about the climate emergency? And not only what are they going to do, ask them what have they done previously? It needs to be real meaningful action. And, you know, young people like yourself and your, your colleagues um, need to hold people uh, of my generation and elected representatives to account. We have put you in quite a pickle. Well, you're definitely um, very passionate about this subject, which is good because a lot of people don't seem to be, and it's it's a very serious issue. What are your like intentions with replacing gold mining, and most importantly, what can young people like my generation do about this? Similar to anyone who's aware of the fracking campaign uh, for a number of years ago, will be aware of how we built a, a kind of a cross community organisation who brought in different strands of the community that were going to be impacted by fracking. You know, young people in in the area who want to maybe live and stay in the area and don't want that type of industry coming in. So we're trying to build, and we are building, that same type of cross-community support again. We've organised protests, we've had public meetings, we've engaged in consultations um, with the the Minister's Department. We've tried to get on board the support of our local TDs. We've also got the um, our Leitrim County Council to officially declare their opposition to, to the gold mining industry. The prospecting licenses for gold mining have actually been granted. It means that representatives from the company Flintridge Resources can actually go out now on the ground and attempt to gain access to lands to do prospecting work, like taking samples of soil. And so we've actually been encouraging landowners and, and farmers to strongly consider refusing access uh, to anyone from the company going onto their lands, which they're entitled to do. We have signs printed for landowners they can put on their gates and just to create the visual image that this this industry, this company, isn't welcome. You know, it isn't part of a sustainable future. It's not part of sustainable agriculture or building futures where people like yourself um, will be able to live and, you know, have a safe and healthy future for yourself and and your families. Only recently, um, the company that has a license for Leitrim was actually uh, convicted in um, a court in Northern Ireland uh, of very, very serious health and, and safety breaches, and they were fined uh, a very significant fine. So this is not the kind of company or industry we want to get their feet on the ground here. You've got a huge role to play in this. It's it's your futures primarily that um, are going to be affected long-term as, as younger people, you know, and there's loads and loads of different organisations and community groups that you can get involved with and to get active with. So, you know, on a, on a local level, it could be Treasure Leitrim, there could be similar groups uh, in Sligo or across the northwest. You know, there's there's national groups, there's um, Schliella is, is a great group that does a lot of environmental work, not here, not anywhere, do lots of work around um, fossil fuels uh, in Ireland, uh, Friends of the Earth. The key message I would put across is is to get active, but also to get educated. Climate change is not something that is over there or somewhere else or someone else's problem in another country. It's very, very real and it's it's on our doorstep. And we're seeing it now at the minute with, you know, people are starting to join the dots. You can't buy tomatoes at the minute in supermarkets. You can't get certain types of vegetables because of climate-related weather events where they're grown in, in Europe. This is starting to hit home on a very real level. We're, we're having more extreme weather events, you know, more flooding, un- unseasonal weather that isn't usual. 
you, you could always kind of differentiate between summer and winter and autumn. Now, a lot of the time, seasons just seem to blur into one. Ask your parents about the different types of birds and animals that maybe we don't hear or see anymore. Um, the bee population, um, bird species are, are declining rapidly, but this is really starting to to hit home at the minute. I, if you're a young person, I'd be asking your, you know, there's elections coming up in the next year or two, you know, locals and nationals. Don't even wait until the elections. Ask them now. What are they doing? What are they going to do? Is there a local issue in your area that you're aware of that maybe you're interested in? Just, you know, contact your TDs, your councillors about it. Get engaged and get educated about what's what's happening at the minute. And because young people will be the backbone of the, the fight against mining, against climate change and against the threats that we all face. Well, well, Jamie, that's a lot of powerful information that people should definitely think about. Thank you so much for coming on again. My name is Myrna O'Reilly and thank you so much for listening to this part of the show. Hello, my name's Tig Murphy. On February 25th, the Summerhill College senior Gaelic football team beat St. Brendan's College of Killarney in the All-Ireland semi-final. The team fought hard to take an amazing 2-11 to 1-11 win in Toome, which now puts them through to the All-Ireland finals in Croke Park this St. Patrick's Day. We are joined today by Summerhill coach and former Sligo Gaelic football legend Mark Brehney and match commentator Austin O'Callaghan in an exclusive interview on the team's progress. So, Mr. Brehney, first of all, thank you very much for coming out here today. How does it feel to be leading your team to such an event? Yeah, it's fantastic, uh, Ty. You know, it's probably a dream come true for, for me and, and our management team. Mr. Neary, Mr. Joe Neary from the school and Luke Bree as well. And we've Caroline McGoldrick on, on our stats team. And it's a fantastic achievement to get here, first of all. Um, we've had a, a tough road in Connacht. We would have played, you know, some, some really strong Mayo teams. A huge Connacht final against a Clare Goal team that were hotly tipped. So for us to be at this stage is, is brilliant. Um, to get over a Kerry team then like St. Brendan's with their tradition and with what they were bringing to the table last Saturday, it's just brought great excitement to, to our team and, and to the school and I think the Saigo GA community as a whole. Who or what do you think attributes to your team's success? The character and, and the resilience of the squad. Right from the word go, they've been outstanding really throughout all our matches from the very, very beginning. We would have played in the Mayo League originally before Christmas and uh, they showed lots of traits. As what I was saying about it was the resilience coming back from, from maybe four or five points down at times and really showing their work that way. So consistency of training is something that you'd always admire as well with them that they always bring a good level and standard of training for me it's about just enjoyment as well that they seem to enjoy it they like they, they like the training and they like being around each other and, and it's something that it goes a long way during the last 10 minutes of a game that you want to battle it out and you want to work hard for your team so for, from that point of view it's uh, I think there's there, there's many attributes but certainly resilience enjoyment and, and probably um, that consistency is, is key how has your inter-county experience impacted your coaching style? Yeah, very inter- interesting question. The, I would have probably, I'd always take bits and pieces fr- from all the managers and coaches that I would have had over the years and you try to go with things that they would have, real positive things and real things that I would have got from from them um, and, and bring that into my coaching style. Also, then you, you might look at other styles from other sports possibly. You know, you could be looking at, you know, picking up something from basketball or, 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 or soccer and, and adapting things there as well. But certainly for my own playing days, I would have been always into coaching and I would have always been probably aware of what was happening within a session. And, and that's something that I, I, had really, I had a real interest in that and see how, the, how a session was being developed, how it was organised. And for me, it's all about the organisation in it. Um, once you're organised, a session would run very, very well. Yeah, taking lots of positives from many experiences that I've got from other coaches from different counties, different teams I've played with has, has been crucial in my development as well. 
How would you describe the relationship between yourself and the players? I think we have a good relationship, yeah. Uh, I, I, I would feel so, so, some of my um, strengths as a coach or even as a teacher is probably just that man management side of things. And, and you know, obviously being aware of their own needs and their, they're at a young age and they're at a very much a developmental stage themselves and, and every game is, is a big game for them. You have to try to so build them up or, 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 or make them kind of come down fr- from, from the highs and, and try to build them up if we have some lows as well. So I think there, there, there's a variety of, of, of ways of, of doing that. But um, I think I've, you know, I, I get on with a lot of the lads. I would know some from my local club. I teach other lads. We've known this group really from first year. Probably the big advantage I would have at the moment with, with, with Mr. Neri Tuva started off um, you know, back in first row with this group and a lot of the lads then would have come in and followed, you know, a couple of years after that then and they would have all now combined together and, and become the Summerhill senior team. So uh, I think it's just as the years go by, you get to know them, you get to know their 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 strengths and, and what pushes their buttons and what doesn't. And it's, it's something that, again, you learn from year to year with it. Thank you very much for that. That was a great interview to see just what life's like with the team. That was Mr. Brehany, one of the key people in leading the team to their success and hopefully to more this St. Patrick's Day in Croke Park. I'm joined now by Austin O'Callaghan, who is the sports editor here at Ocean FM. Austin recently commentated on the All-Ireland semi-final, which saw Summerhill take on St. Brendan's of Killarney. Austin, as a past Summerhill student, how did it feel to be commentating on such an important match for the school? Well, I suppose, Tyg, the first thing is you want to try and stay as objective as you can, but when you're old alma mater is playing I suppose it's hard to stay completely objective if you're honest about it but um, look it was an exciting commentary to do because the team were one match away from playing at Crow Park and that rarely happens for an intra-county Gaelic football team never mind a school's football team so I suppose that was the added incentive for those watching and for those playing to see could you make it to the famous stadium. Was there any point in the match that had you at the edge of your seat? I think just about all the game, Penny, had me on the edge of, of, of my seat. Just the nature of it and the intensity of the game. I mean, I played Gaelic football myself in Summerhill for one of the, the B teams, the lesser teams in Summerhill. I was never good enough to be on the first team. Uh, but just, you know, the, the quality of the football from both sides. It takes two teams to make this semi-final and St. Brendan's of Kerry their opposition who have um, a great tradition in schools Gaelic football had some wonderfully talented players as well. But um, I suppose when you know these players locally, some of them play with my home club in North Sligo. Uh, guys you're familiar with that you maybe have reported on here at Ocean FM. They've played, you know, we had guys there who are playing Schoolboys International for Ireland, playing soccer, underage with Sligo Rovers. There are Leitrim, people with Leitrim connections there that you'd know through their, their dads or their mums uh, some of the mums and dads on this team I played Gaelic football with in my youth so there are all sorts of connections like that so um, it wasn't hard to be excited let me put it that way When that glorious moment finally arrived when the final whistle blew in the stadium what was what was your reaction firstly to the to the moment and what was the atmosphere like in the stadium? Well when you're commentating, you're in a zone, you're working, so you're you're describing what's happening. I suppose you're not thinking about the emotion when the final whistle goes. You're you're still trying. You're trying to convey the emotion and and paint the picture of what's happening. But what happened in the stadium was first years, second years, third years, TY students, leaving Cert students on Summerhill who were there on a Saturday, turning out for the team, and that was one great thing to see was how many students were there supporting the senior footballer. They swarmed onto the pitch 
like ants. I think that's the word I used on commentary on Saturday because they came from all directions and they were followed by their grandparents and mums and dads and player connection families. And that was just lovely to see, that outpouring. There was a sense of relief in the stadium, I think, and that relief came from the fact that a Sligo team was beating a Kerry team in a pretty major Gaelic football match, and that doesn't happen too often. So as a sports commentator, in your professional opinion, do you think Summerhill will do well going forward into Crow Park? I do think they'll do well because what's, I won't say unusual about this team, but what's encouraging with this team is they never panicked or let their heads drop, even if they're several points down. They seem to have tremendous belief in their own ability. And hand on heart as a Sligo man, that hasn't always been the case with some Sligo teams in sport of the past. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for them because it'll be new surroundings. This will be a completely different experience. And going by the way the other semi-final went, there's a team from Tyrone who will be playing against Summerhill in the final. They seem to have been very impressive en route to the final. So on paper, they look pretty good. But when it comes down to the throw-in on St. Patrick's Day, it's still just two football teams. And if Summerhill can treat it like that, it'll be hard to treat it just like that because it's not just any old game. It's an All-Ireland final at Crow Park. I give them a chance because they've been behind in every single match they've played. And they've come back and either won or drew it. So I don't know if they'll win, but I won't bet against them. Hello, everyone. My name is Millie Hughes, and today we're going to be discussing politics and young people. In a recent survey conducted among transition year students in Sligo, it was found that only 10% of students surveyed showed an interest in politics. Today we will examine why this is the case as we will look into political education and the involvement of young people in politics. We are joined here today by a local Sligo councillor and former general election candidate, Thomas Walsh, to discuss these topics. First of all, thank you so much for coming in, Thomas. It's great to have you. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. So in a recent study, it was shown that 90% of adolescents show little to no interest in politics. What do you think about these figures? Yeah, look, um, politics is one of them areas where I found it very challenging um, over a long period of time to engage young people. As it happens, I, I'm the youngest in uh, Sligo County Council, and some would say uh, not that young, out of 18 councillors. So we have an election in May 2024, so not too far away. And look, sure, we always encourage uh, new people to come forward, both within parties and non-party. Um, certainly in my own party, um, we're encouraging as many young people to join, I suppose, the younger wing uh, of our party. Uh, we have a large membership. Actually, we had... a um, a Young Fine Gael conference um, a number of days ago, so um, large numbers from across the country. But I think politics is a very good way of engaging young people in uh, a number of areas, I suppose, that matter to them in terms of healthcare or infrastructure or um, social media um, or climate or for whatever issues are important. So it's important through the school system that we continue to engage through the Leave and Start Applied programme and we continue uh, to engage. I know we have a European programme. We had uh, a number of months ago um, where there was a number of schools were brought into the model and they met um, our MEPs from um, Ireland West. Um, and that was a very engaging programme. We have a lot of work to do in this area. Uh, certainly, I'd like to see a lot more younger people engage in politics and run for election. Um, I think it's very challenging now with social media and mm-hmm. 
certainly has become um, one of those areas where um, becoming more difficult political life is becoming more difficult and I think social media probably has a lot to do with that. Do you think that young people not showing an interest in politics has a lasting impact on society? I wouldn't put it um, as blunt as that in terms of all young people but certainly we as I said we have a lot more to do um, social media as you said is one way of connected with young people and we have a lot of platforms now I've recently joined TikTok you know many of my colleagues at national level have also joined TikTok and I suppose it's a way of engaging with people that may not be on your um, other platforms such as Facebook and Instagram and uh, and Twitter. While there are advantages of social media, there certainly are disadvantages and we're looking at legislation in terms of, you know, making sure uh, social media companies are responsible um, and responsive um, to those who are on their platforms because that is largely um, one of the negative reasons why young people don't go into politics or put their name forward. And don't forget to give Thomas Walsh a follow on TikTok. How do you find this lack of interest reflect on you and your colleagues? I would, um, I suppose I, uh, as I said, one, are one of the youngest councillors. Uh, I work a full-time job. I work in the Child and Family Agency with Tusla. I have my council role also. And it's an extremely busy role. Um, you know, we have clinics I certainly have clinics, outreach clinics in a number of different areas and they're ongoing and we run them off uh, monthly. Um, I've given you a copy there of my newsletter. Uh, so I have one of them once a month uh, of different projects that are, I suppose, ongoing across uh, the county. I'm the chairperson of the Strategic Policy Committee and Infrastructure in Sligo County Council. Uh, I'm really interested in our infrastructure lack of uh, and areas we need to work on. And we've seen huge progress uh, in our infrastructure in, in Sligo over recent years and a huge amount of allocation. Uh, but we have a lot more to do. And another project I'm involved in, there's a huge vacant um, or grey area. And I suppose across Europe, we're much better at that is, I suppose, digital media and digital hubs for children and young people. Because we often uh, pump money into um, spaces for adults or older people. Um, in terms of remote working, but no one, I suppose, has thought of um, spaces for um, digital hubs for young people in terms of, like we were sitting here in a podcast studio, but we don't have one of them that's accessible. That is something we have to get better at. It's something that I've raised with the minister directly, uh, and we've set up a working group in terms of looking at infrastructure. And one of those projects that we're looking at is developing a skateboard park. We have um, the recruitment of two new posts, which we've sought many, many years in this council, and they're a festival and event strategy coordinator or manager, and the second post is a tourism officer. So we had a huge, uh, I suppose, vacancy um, or grey area in that we had a lack of strategy and joined-up approach to our festival and events. Um, and certainly that is one of the areas that I feel very strongly about that we would develop a festival event strategy for Sligo, uh, that we would see it published and that we would engage um, with bigger events like we see happen in Galway because uh, we can bring them here. Certainly that's one of the areas um, that I'm very much involved in. What do you think you can do to improve political interest in young people and what can you implement or promote? I suppose when I got elected in 2019, probably was on some social media platforms, but I think now I'm on them all. I don't think there's too many that I'm not in, from TikTok to Instagram to Twitter to LinkedIn. I suppose I engage a lot through social media with people who um, make representations on different things. I suppose I like to engage. People send me messages by probably every 10 minutes on something, be it to my councillor page or via Instagram on Messenger or via private tweets um, uh, on Twitter. 
And I think young people are much more engaged in via an online, an online platform rather than um, showing up to an outreach clinic um, in a community hall, for, for example. And that is one area where uh, we need to improve on across, across every public representative. But I think there has been huge advances um, in that over recent times. And look, we have to, I suppose, listen to young people. And I work in Tusla, the Child and Family Agency, and one thing that is driven into every uh, social worker across the country is that young people's voice should always be listened to and actively listened to. And those are the views of Councillor Thomas Walsh. Now let's turn to the survey of students and their views on politics. Let's take a listen now to those views. Do you have an interest in politics, Cody? No. Why aren't you interested in politics? I don't know, just no interest. Do you know anyone interested in politics? Uh, My second cousin is a politician. Would you like to be more involved in politics? No. Maya, do you have an interest in politics? No. Why aren't you interested in politics? Um, I just think they're boring. Do you know anyone interested in politics? Yeah, Claudia. Okay, thank you. Claudia, um, name one person in politics. I leave Radcar, Michal, Martin, Marion Harkin, uh, Mark McSharry. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have more an interest in politics if it was taught in school? Uh, yeah. Would you be interested in becoming a politician? Why or why not? No, they seem like they have a hard life. Saoirse, do you have any interest in politics? No. Why aren't you interested in politics? Because it's not talked about. Do you think you would have more of an interest in politics if it were talked about more in school? Not really. And you don't have an interest in becoming a politician? No, because if you don't go with the majority, you're, you can become very disliked. Cora, would you like to be more involved in politics? Uh, sure, no. It's not me interested now. Um, do you know anyone in politics? Uh, sure, don't say... Uh, Leo Varadkar, he's a nice fella. He's a good fella, good crack. Would you be more interested in politics if it were taught more in school? Sure, I wouldn't say this to myself. I think I'd fall asleep in class, but sure. If they want to, they can. And do you have any interest in becoming a politician? Ah, uh, sure no, because I don't want to get assassinated myself. That's a possibility. Marin, do you have an interest in politics? Not really, no. Why aren't you interested in politics? Well, it just seems kind of boring and it's, yeah, it's kind of like a taboo subject. Uh, would you like to be more involved in politics? When I'm older, yeah. And um, why do you think 90% of TYs don't have an interest in politics? Probably because, well, you know, it's not taught in schools and teenagers don't really talk about it. Would you be more interested in politics if it were taught in school? Yeah, if it was taught like in an interesting way. Rory, do you have an interest in politics? No, nope, not at all. Why aren't you interested in politics? Uh, I don't really find it interesting. Um, do you know anyone yourself interested in politics? Nope, none of my family or friends are. Would you be more interested in politics if it were taught in school? Nope, I'd find it just as boring. Um, why do you think 90% of TYs aren't interested in politics? Because they're all shut inside playing video games, I guess. They're not really, like, looking at it. Would you be interested in becoming a politician? No. Tag, do you have an interest in politics? Uh, no. I can't say I can. Why aren't you interested in politics? I just don't really see the point of it. I mean, you don't really need to learn about the whole subject. Sort of, the general elections come around your research about your individual TDs and then you vote. End of story. Uh, Why do you think 90% of TYs aren't interested in politics? Well, I mean, we're all teenagers, worried about our social lives, not really worried about what's going on in the world. Can you name more than one politician? 
I'm sure there's Leo, good crack. There's Mihal, sort of. They're sharing the job, aren't they? Jeez, loads of TDs as well. I couldn't name any more. Um, and are you interested in ever becoming a politician? No, it seems like a very pressuring role. I don't think I don't think I'd ever have an interest in doing so. Penny, do you have an interest in politics? No, not at all. Why aren't you interested in politics? It's really boring. Would you ever like to be more involved in politics? Probably not. I just don't find it an interesting topic at all. Why do you think 90% of TYs aren't interested in politics? Well, I just don't think teenagers are really involved in politics. Like, not much goes on for teenagers in politics, and so it's not a topic that's discussed. Would you be more interested in politics if it were taught more in school? Probably not. And that's it from this section of the show. Thank you. Jade Ronan is Misha Penny, Gurmila Mahogat, the Tordam the Almond You, can conch them if we shocked in a gelga, and sketch me near Yeah, Tom, two more or less, Penny, just eventually. Kayleigh and Rodas Fjarlat, El Ober, the Inishore. On Rodas Fjarlum, El Ober Maradishore, no Golumit Gnohok, Gakur Gakla, Bimitig Fisrun Skelta, Akis. So Gakur the Danov, Kosula, Korsi Pilikta, Korsi, I'm sure, Korsi. Gorsi Gakrud, um but Tom is gonna Tom Bimis Gnohook Gakur Gaklog is Shinon Rutas Harlem. Shinga Hintuk, Kerdi the Ark Fig Tark Fui Sport El Skelga in the Garm in it for. Yeah, Tom Bigiri um piece of tractor to you know three ran the Gelga um Northern Minisogia von my aunt had Navasig a gay le tractor you could le Sean Bon Branock August Bion Martig. Um, um, so Tom McGeary, Tom, Tom, well, but I'm talking about, you know, three Van Nagel goes, Kim will she, you know, on Tangus, it's your show, I guess, touch it off the quill, on Gilgal, Fos Lazar, Cecil. Shall touch in on, yeah. Um, I will take Jane of Ainrod Spragula, I shocked in a Gilga. Yeah, by me, uh, well, by me, Egfrastal, Iha Hoshilta in Alyov Imarch. So by Shishin on Simul, by Macharjan, August Tomic, more or less Nashin Echol, and Homelishin, then by me just like a kind squilgel, well, and then a Giri Gilgal Lowerts, but Tomagiri, Nismo Gilgal Lowerts, Ulisad, Gakla, Shakas, Aaron Vaughan. New Gakrodella, just Tom McGeary on Nismogelia, allowed Gakla. Sha, Shin on Jasukeshal, Gramila Mahagut, Tasilagum Gavadel, Gobe Law Jasagat. Gramila Mahatani. Hello, my name is Cody Kilgannon. Today I'll be talking about how secondary school students in Ireland are concerned about the facilities in schools, or should we say the lack of. Some of the most needed facilities in schools are sports facilities and food facilities. We asked a group of students some questions about the facilities in their school. They're shocking. Why? They're not suitable for everyone. Is there any facilities you would like to add? Better sports facilities. What type of sports would you like to see in your school? Just different variety of sports and get rid of the stairs. Claudia, is there enough computers or laptops in your school? Kind of. Does your school have a sensory room? No. Would that be something that should be added? They're making it at the minute, I think. Hi, Saoirse. Are your school facilities accessible to everyone? Yes. Do you have good sports facilities or teams in your school? We have a range of sports. Does your school have a sensory room? Yes. What is your opinion on your facilities in your school? There's a rake in them, but they're not very good. 
Is there any sports teams in your school? Female and male Gaelic team. Does your school have a sensory room? Uh, yes, we do. What is your opinion on your facilities in your school? They're pretty good. Is there any facilities you would like to add to your school? Um, I'd like to add a sensory room. Do you play on any sports teams in your school? I play on the girls' basketball team. Are your school facilities accessible to everyone? Uh, yeah, they are. What's your opinions on them? Uh, they, they do the job, they work well. Is there anything you've changed about them? Um, maybe you could tidy them up a bit more often, but other than that, I think they're good. Today we're joined by Mr Thomas Coggins, the principal of Clost Eski, to talk about the facilities in his school and the workload of a principal. Hello Mr Coggins, how are you? Hi Cody, thanks for asking me on the show. Um, so how long have you been part of the Clost Eski school community? I'm working in Clost Eski since September 2000. What's your opinion on facilities in post-primary schools? Do you think they are good or could they be improved? Well, Cody, there's always room for improvement. Um, I'm of the mindset that should always be striving for the best possible facilities for our young people. In Kolosh we're lucky to have some wonderful facilities. However, we have a, a plan for the future development of the school. Usually, like when people look at our, our school, uh, our curriculum really serves the needs of the students and the, sub- the, the, the rooms that we have. Say so our practical rooms are as good as any other school. Um, we have an excellent sport facility, a full-size basketball court up just up the road from the school. We have um, use of Eski Courthouse as well across the road, uh, which is like a multi-purpose uh, facility. And we also have our outdoor classroom that we use in the polytunnel. And, of course, we have the new extension, the uh, new science lab and the general classrooms. But as our school grows, uh, which we're going through a, a period of growth at the moment, our numbers will be up nearly over 50% next September. Uh, There's always a need for general classrooms. And uh, so there's constantly a plan in place for the future development because you're you're trying to do the best for the community that you serve. When you said there about the science lab, do you think that was very beneficial to the school? Absolutely. Just yesterday we had a STEM day for our local primary schools where students came in and they they experienced uh, science. They did experiments relating to soil and then they looked at earthworms. But you can see the enthusiasm on the young people's faces. The new science lab has brought science to the, to, to, the fore, I suppose, in Kilosh to Iski. And um, it really has invigorated us to, to look at introducing further science subjects down the line. Uh, I suppose the model that uh, is now used in, in the science lab is very much around group work. And uh, does your school have a school canteen or do they supply school lunches? We're very lucky. We've introduced hot lunches um, last uh, since September, and we have an Irish company, um, Fresh Today, that are supplying the food to us. Um, so all our students they get a free snack, and they get a. Uh, there's three options at lunchtime. There's a vegetarian or vegan option. Choice of over twenty menu items that are selected in any given week. Uh, so it's been a really, really popular thing with our students since September. And uh, it's going from strength to strength. So we're very happy. So our students are served at a uh, main area and they're, they're served in portions and then they bring their portion with them and uh, eat at their leisure. I believe Klaus Dieske has recently been involved in the Erasmus scheme. Can you tell me about that? This is a fantastic uh, programme. Uh, so we got accreditation uh, in 2021. It's been going from strength to strength. We're really lucky to have a fantastic coordinator in our school who really puts, has been putting in a huge amount of effort into it. Uh, what the Erasmus does, it gives opportunities for students and teachers uh, to travel 
um, and the travel is subsidised. So it's an EU uh, funding package. Um, so we apply for funding. This year we, we twinned with a school in uh, Viarms, just outside Paris, and our transition years and our fifth year students travelled. So they um, they experienced education life you know, by sitting in under clashes in Viarms. And they also went on a guided tour of Paris and had a fun day as well in, in your Disney. Uh, some of our teachers have went on training courses in Iceland and Belgium to further enhance what they do in their own day-to-day work, courses on different things relating to their, their subject areas. And then we also have invited experts coming in. I've seen our school or attracted by our school to try to learn from us. So we have, um, we've had teachers from Spain, we have a teacher from Turkey and one from Iceland hoping to, to come across and um, to see what, what we're about and maybe to take a few students and to do a little bit of work with them as an invited expert. There's huge possibilities uh, and we're only starting with our Erasmus programme. Three weeks time we have um, a group of fifth year students heading to Alicante uh, in uh, in Spain and the, the same, they'll, they'll be in the school out there, they'll uh, sit in on lessons and they'll also uh, get an opportunity to do some cultural activities as well. A recent news report has been released about how secondary school principals say they're spending almost half of their working week doing admin. The National Association of Principals and Deputy Principals say that leaves less than one third of their time to focus on curriculum, leadership, planning or interacting with students. Mr Coggins, have you been affected by any of these issues? The job of principal, as you can imagine, is a very busy one. However, it's a job that's very rewarding and fulfilling. When you look at any given day, no two days are ever the same. Um, I suppose when you look back, you could be at any range of, of work, you know, right through from policy to working with the community to maybe teaching at last to budgeting. The, the job is very varied. And I suppose there is a certain amount of admin that falls into that into that role. Um, but I suppose ultimately, as the leader of a school, you're trying to look after the teaching and learning of the students. That is your priority. Yes, the job is, is, is a heavy workload with the job. But as a leader of school, you have to work smarter rather than harder. You could work every minute of the day if you wanted, but sometimes you just need to have a good work-life balance and make time for your own personal well-being. Thanks very much for coming in to talk to us today, Mr. Coggins, and we wish you all the best. Thanks, Cody. And that just about wraps up the show. We hope you enjoyed listening. Today's broadcast will be available on the Ocean FM website as a podcast. But until then, take care and have a great day. This TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Ocean FM.